people are no longer just comparing their experience with you to the experiences they've had or perceived that they would have with your direct competitors. They're comparing them to the experiences they've had across the board. We have much less patience than we did a decade ago. We have much less tolerance for things not being available at our fingertips. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Brittany Hodak, an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and customer experience speaker. Brittany Hodak is an international keynote speaker and award-winning business leader. As an accomplished speaker, Brittany has been invited to speak to audiences and organizations across the world, including American Express, WeWork, Compassion International, Sony Music, and the United Nations, just to name a few. Brittany is the co-founder of the Super Fan Company, a multi-million dollar fan engagement agency that has created successful campaigns and products for globally known brands including Walmart, Disney, Amazon, Luke Bryan, Katy Perry, the Boston Red Sox, and many, many more. In 2015, she was offered deals from four of the five sharks on ABC's Shark Tank at a valuation of more than $4 million. And as you know, Shark Tank is a sprung household favorite. Brittany is a Guinness World Record holder who's been named to Advertising Age's 40 Under 40 list, Inc.'s 30 Under 30 list, and Billboard's 30 Under 30 list. She was awarded the distinction of Most Disruptive Marketing Entrepreneur at the Impact Awards at the United Nations. Brittany has published more than 350 thought leadership articles for a variety of national media, including regular columns for Forbes, Adweek, and Success. She has also been featured on shows for ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, CNBC, Bloomberg, Fox News, and more. She has been studying, researching, and writing about the phenomenon of fandom for nearly two decades, and even longer if you count her years as a radio station mascot, which she considers the front lines of fandom research. Listen in for some great takeaways about creating super fans and a culture to support it. Well, I have the pleasure of being here today with Brittany Hodak, an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and customer experience speaker. I am so excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me, Larry. I'm so excited to be here. I know some background about you, but I also want to get our listeners up to speed. And we're always interested to hear a little bit about the journey on how you got to where you are today. So we'll spend a lot of time on where you are today, but perhaps you could just give our listeners the 10,000 foot view on how Brittany Hodak got from where you were to where you are today. That would be great. 
Of course. Well, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to work in the music industry. That was all I really wanted to do. When I was 16 years old, I went to job shadow at a local radio station. I begged them to give me a job. I said, I'll do absolutely anything. And they hired me to be the mascot. So I got to wear a bee costume to every car dealership sale and furniture store grand opening. And I thought it was the coolest job in the world because I got free CDs. I got to hang out at the radio station. But about six months later, one day the station manager came in and said, I keep seeing ads for this movie, Bridget Jones Diary. And my maiden name was Jones. So she thought it would be a really cool idea to do something and call it Britney Jones Diary. And she said, what could we do? And I said, well, you're always talking about trying to get more people on the radio station websites. What if I just interviewed the band when they came to town and that was my diary. And she said, oh, like that almost famous movie. Yeah, that's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. We should totally do that. Just make a list of the bands that you want to see. We'll set everything up at the record labels. So all of a sudden as a 17-year-old kid, it became my job to hang out with rock stars and brag about it on the internet. <laughs> it could be bad. <laughs> I spoiled, like any chances of me ever getting a quote unquote real job, right? Like at that point, it at least for me, kind of opened my eyes to the fact that There was a world out there that was not the sort of traditional corporate path that I had seen modeled by most of the people in my life. With that, I became obsessed with the music industry. I was going on tours with bands. I was trying to help every single band that I could grow in their career. And I went to work at record labels after college. And I was very interested in the idea of fandom, why some bands would go viral and others would just sort of go away because I saw that it wasn't the marketing budget. It wasn't always the talent of the band. It wasn't always the caliber of the hit single. And as I studied it more and more, what I realized was it was the fans. It was the interaction between the artist and their fans. Were they making an impact so that fans would come back to see them again and to tell their friends to check them out? And over the years, after working at record labels, working at an entertainment advertising agency, I launched my own company called the Super Fan Company, where I was doing fan engagement campaigns to try to help these artists with all of the principles of customer engagement and fan engagement that that I had learned. And I was very fortunate that my first client was Walmart. So within a few months, like literally a few months of starting my company, I had products in Walmart stores nationwide. And that opened up to working with all of these huge brands. And as I started to look at customer engagement, I saw that it was all of the same things, like all of the psychographics, all of the psychology was the same. The key was if you want someone to care about your product, You've got to not only make it great, you've got to make them understand that you care that they care. You want them as a customer. And so I went back to school. I got a master's degree in consumer behavior and marketing and really started geeking out, to be totally honest, on this idea of customer experience to try to figure out if I could take what I knew intuitively to be true, what I could see happening around me and articulate it in a way that would be copyable, like a formula that people could use to benefit from all of the things that I sort of, like I said, knew in my gut or intuitively to be true and had seen them happen. But I wanted to distill that into like a formula people could follow for customer experience. And that is how I went from thinking that I had to be a rock star to have a cool job to being like, oh my gosh, customer experience is so much more exciting and so much more fun than being a rock star, which I truly believe that it is. I think every business owner would love to have the fans that, for example, the Grateful Dead had, right? They had such a following, such a connection with their 
fans. I think some of the stuff that I've read, they never had a hit song. I don't think they had any, but they had this incredible following. So I think that's a great example of what businesses want. If you could create that, you really can create a huge beneficial community to you and your brand. And that's exactly what it sounds like you're creating with the people that you serve. It is. The dead is a perfect analogy because whether you're in the music industry or any business, the biggest threat is the same. And that's apathy. A lot of times I work with people, especially business owners, and they'll say, we have an awareness problem. Not enough people know about what it is that we do. If only we had a bigger marketing budget. If only we could spend more money. If only we could get our name mentioned by this influencer. And almost 100% of the time, it's not an awareness problem at all. Plenty of people know. They just don't care. And the reason they don't care is because that business hasn't done a compelling enough job connecting their story to that customer story or that prospective customer story. They haven't made their thing relevant to the needs and the lives of that customer. And it's the exact same as it is with artists. Like you hear a new song, if it doesn't get your attention, you're like, so what? Who cares? It's apathy, right? right? It becomes filler. It's background noise that maybe you'll think about it again later, but you're certainly not paying attention to it. You're certainly not saying, I want to Shazam this song so that I can listen mm -hmm. to more songs from this artist on Spotify later, or I want to find out if they're coming to tour in my town, or I want to learn more about them. It just becomes sort of background noise. And we live in a world where there's so much background noise, so much, static, a lot. So much <laughs> all the time that in order to truly break through, you have You've got to have a compelling story to overpower that apathy because apathy is a very, very, very powerful foe. Yeah. So you mentioned it earlier, super fan, right? What is a super fan? How do you define that? Because I think that's key in understanding what business owners should be looking for. What is that super fan all about? What does it mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because sometimes people hear the word and they're like, I could never have super fans for what I do. I'm an exterminator. I'm a funeral director. I'm whatever. But you absolutely can. I define a super fan as a customer or stakeholder who is so delighted by their experience with your product, service, or brand that they become an enthusiastic advocate. So in other words, these are customers who are creating more customers. They're coming back and they're telling their friends they had a great experience and you now are no longer just a commodity provider from them. You have broken through that sort of level of commodity provider into a space that I call category of one. They're no longer putting you in the consideration set. You're the entire consideration set. They would not dream of looking for another solution because they know they've found their partner. Sounds like something that all businesses should strive for. I think it's key. The more super fans you have, the better opportunities you're going to present for your company. So I've also heard you speak about there's a shift in expectations, right? So why do you think it's critical? And I think this ties in really to the super fan in order to create them. Why is it critical for a business to deliver exceptional service? The reason it's imperative is because customer expectations have never been higher. We are living in an experience economy. People are no longer making decisions based solely on a product 
or a service. It's about the totality of the experience. What does it feel like to do business with you? And in an experience economy, people are no longer just comparing their experience with you to the experiences they've had or perceived that they would have with your direct competitors. They're comparing them to the experiences they've had across the board. We have much less patience than we did a decade ago. We have much less tolerance for things not being available at our fingertips, for us not to have real-time information about what's going on, for us not to be able to solve our own problems in the channel that we prefer to solve them in, whether that's going online to figure it out, using social media, a chat bot, a phone call, et cetera. So your customers are always going to expect that your experience improves based on what is happening in the world around you. So the proliferation of technology and AI and all of the other things that you can use to enhance a customer's experience are now just like the cost of entry. They're no longer like a nice to have. It's a, you must have this to compete and win in today's world. And if you don't, a challenger brand is going to come along and steal your customers. Yeah. So just to clarify this for those that are listening, right? And just so I understand, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I think I understand it, and I want to make it crystal clear, right? I'm in the financial services profession, right? My competitors are not necessarily just other financial services providers, but the Amazons of the world and those providers that are delivering that expectation that I can go online order something today, have it tomorrow. So in an essence, although they're not providing financial advice currently, but that's what my customer experience, even though I'm a financial services firm not selling products like Amazon, that's what my customer experience is really up against. Is that fair? Absolutely. That's totally fair. And where this really comes into play for financial services professionals are in all of the things that aren't just what I would call like the during part of the experience, but before and after as well. How easy or difficult is it to schedule an appointment with you? How easy or difficult is it to get the information for something as simple as calling you on the phone or finding your office? How simple are you making it for people to engage with you wherever they are? And as customers, Customers' expectations continue to rise because we continue to see more and more development. The less patience that they're going to have when you don't match those expectations. People are going to be like, what do you mean you can't tell me where this report is? Like Domino's can tell me where my pizza is at right now and who's making it. Like, what do you mean (laughs) it's been two weeks and you don't have any information yet? Like get the information. Because again, we're not just comparing experiences to those other service providers. And the smartest most in tune customer experience professionals also know that you can take inspiration from anyone. So even though you're in financial services, you can see what is happening with a doctor that you go to or the gym that you go to or where you get your hair cut or even a local shop at the mall or a restaurant, all of the things around you that sort of make you say, oh, that was great. Pay attention to their experience because there's almost always a lesson that you can take away and apply it directly to your business to benefit your customers. I agree. I mean, we've taken experiences from totally unrelated businesses and incorporated our practice to create that super fan. And it's something that is really in line with one of our core values, which is question, review, and improve. We're always questioning what we're doing, reviewing it, and looking to improve it and make it better. And I think that most companies have to take that stance. Otherwise, to your point, they're going to probably end up in a position where 
they're not going to be able to keep up. So as an expert in building and maintaining customer loyalty, right, what advice would you give to a business that's aiming to create that devoted fan or super fan base? What should they be doing? What should they be thinking about? Well, the first thing they should really be thinking about is why do you deserve super fans? What is it that you're doing that's better than your competitors? Why would someone be loyal to your business? Because if you can't answer that question, I guarantee you they won't be able to either. True. Are there any actionable things that they can implement if they want to put that in practice and start striving towards that audacious goal? Of course there are. This would be a really short and unfulfilling episode if there were not, (laughs) but there absolutely are. So in my book, Creating Superfans, I share a five-part framework that is the formula that I was talking about before that I alluded to that I said, you know, I was trying to figure out what is it? What can people do? What are the repeatable steps that would be simple to measure and implement and to teach to everyone on your team? And so the fruit of all of that labor is something that I call the super model. And super is an acronym. And it's a five-part framework that really goes across every single department of your company. I feel like one of the biggest mistakes that people make, especially when they're growing their own practices, like they start as a sole proprietor or they, they start out on their own and then they hire a team, things become overly siloed. It's a lot of, oh, this is somebody else's responsibility or this falls to somebody else. But everything is experience. Everyone is in the experience department and everything is important to that experience that a customer is having, like the little things, the big things. So my supermodel, S-U-P-E-R, stands for start with your story. That's a little bit of what I was talking about before. Why are you the best? Why can you stand up and say that you're the best partner for somebody who's looking for a financial advisor in your market? What are the things about you that you're going to lean into because you feel like they're a superpower, something that you can do better than anybody else? Now, of course, there are some equal playing grounds when it comes to the fiduciary responsibilities and the things that you have to do from a regulatory standpoint. But above that, what makes you unique? What are the types of customers that you found you really love to work with because they value the skills that you bring, whether that's you being super analytical, or maybe you're super on top of trends, or maybe you're really responsive. Maybe like you're at a place right now where you can be available whenever they need you. What are those things about you? You want to be able to craft a compelling meaningful, memorable origin story about yourself to help them understand why you might be a great partner for them. So that's the first part. S, start with your story. And if you want, we can go through the rest of the acronym, but I'll let you kind of drive and uh, and decide how we this. Yeah, give us, share with us, maybe not in detail, but just the remaining, the UPER, so we have an understanding what that whole framework looks like. Yeah, of course. So the U stands for understand your customer story. Something I say all the time is that super fans are created at the intersection of your story and every customer story. That's where you overpower that apathy. That's where you make your thing relevant to their life. So understand your customer story is all about really getting a 3D view of what your customer is struggling with what transformation they're hoping to undergo and how you can help them achieve that. How are you the right person to guide them? One of the things I talk about a lot is this idea of empathy and authority and how they need to work together. Teddy Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I love that. I think it's so insightful, so great, and really, really speaks to truly understanding your customer story so that you can serve them in the way that they need. And 
the supermodel Larry, it's kind of like nesting dolls, like each one sort of builds on the one before. So the P stands for personalize. And in the personalize pillar, that is where you're combining sort of high touch with high tech to curate an experience that feels really bespoke to each one of your customers that feel you're doing it just for them because everyone has different preferences, different backgrounds, different information, different ways they synthesize things. So really doing everything you can to give options and appeal to not the way you would want to be treated, but the way your customer wants to be treated in that experience. And then E is exceed expectations. This is probably my favorite part. This is where it gets really actionable. In my book, I talk about this principle of intentional experience design, what it means to take a customer-centric focus to every single part of your business before, during, and after those interactions with customers to figure out what can you do to elevate something from a neutral experience to a positive experience, something that is like a nothing burger to something that gets their attention in some way that feels meaningful, that they're likely to remember and maybe even share. And then finally, R stands for repeat. That is a nod to the fact that customer experience is not a set it and forget it. You're never done. There's never like a, oh, I did it. As Elizabeth Arden said, repetition makes reputation and reputation makes customers. So the repeat is all about the systems and processes that you can put in place to help ensure that every single customer experience is remarkable and more importantly, plays out the way that you have designed or planned for it to play out. Amazing. I love that super framework and it's something I'm going to make note of and make sure that we're implementing because I think it's an easy to remember and an actionable way to evaluate the experience really and making sure that you're rising to the occasion on a regular basis. So one of the things that I'm sure you've seen over your tenure in this space is social media and the impact that it may or may not have had on fandom in the digital age. So what do you think, how has social media and the digital age changed that whole fandom kind of shift your mentality or has it at all? Oh, it has completely changed the sort of landscape of fandom, particularly when you look at some of the things that we think more commonly about when we think of fandom, so sports and movies and music, because what it has allowed is for these separate groups of fans to merge into one community. They're able to talk to each other. No longer is it like, I remember my mom telling me stories about when she was a kid, she was in like the Davy Jones fan club. She would get like a magazine in the mail every couple months and you could like write your story and other Davy Jones fans across the country would read it. But now these fans are able to communicate and share their experiences with the world in real time. Now for business fandoms and for entrepreneurs, what it's really done is created more opportunity for a sense of co-creation and also more of an expectation for immediate feedback. So when somebody goes to your brand asking for feedback online, they are expecting near instantaneous feedback. They want to know that you have received and care about that request or problem or comment or whatever it is that they sent your way. So I think overall social media has been fantastic for increasing the level of connectivity, but it is also forcing businesses to raise their game because there is that immediacy. And also there's more of a sense of ownership and co-creation. And there's been a lot of really fascinating research done about fandom and the sense of like identity and ownership. And as you get into younger consumers, especially you see this like huge in Gen Z, but a little bit also with millennials and even a tad bit in the older generations, people 
feel intrinsically that they have a sense of ownership in the things that they are fans of, the things that they support. They feel like they should have a vote or a voice in helping make important decisions and co-creating what's going to follow. And you see a lot of brands do a good job tapping into this, surveying their fans, asking for feedback, allowing them to sometimes even participate in the research and development and launch of new products. But that's something that we're going to continue to see, I think, forever. Again, super fans are created at the intersection of your story and every customer story. So sharing your story in a way that's relevant is no longer optional. It is something that is expected if you want to rise to that level of category of one. If you're fine being a commodity provider, fine. That's great, right? If you want people to make a decision based on something like how close you are to their house or what the cost is to work with you, then fine. You can be a commodity provider. But if you don't want to be a part of that sort of like muddy, messy middle, you've got to rise above it and you've got to have a strategy for turning more of those customers into super fans. Agreed. So I want to touch on one thing you said earlier in regards to feedback from the super fans, right? So one of the things that comes is there's positive feedback, which is always welcomed and can be utilized. But then there's also negative feedback or potential criticism, which is happening as well. So what steps would you recommend, because I'm sure you have some good ideas around this, in turning potentially negative experiences into positive ones? Because I think that that's an area, obviously, if you have a super fan and they have a positive experience, great. You might want to just up your game. You're already performing well for them, I guess. But the negative, I would imagine, presents a great opportunity for you, your business, however. So how do you go about handling that and turning that negative into a positive? Well, it absolutely does represent a great opportunity. I would highly recommend a book by my friend Jay Bear. It's called Hug Your Haters. And as it relates to negative feedback or criticism online, he has a lot of incredible advice that people can follow. You mentioned sometimes people are really happy, sometimes people are really sad. One of the things that I talk about in my book is that there are very few three-star reviews online because of that apathy, because people don't care. Like, when's the last time you were like, oh, I ate at this new restaurant? It was was okay. I tried this new thing. It was fine. We lean toward the extremes. And especially when we're seeing like our world feeling more polarized and more extreme everywhere across the board, we're sort of conditioned to share those positives and those negatives. So a few things that I will say. Number one, you should always, always reply and respond to those negative comments. In my book, I talk about the five steps of a proper apology, what they are and how you should employ them to fix things when things go a little bit south. I also talk about some of the kind of norms of have public versus how much you should make a quick comment and then take it to a less public medium, whether that's a DM or a phone call or an email. But there has been a lot of fascinating research around something called the service recovery paradox. And I talk about this in my book, but this is research that dates back several decades. And it's been studied again and again, and the results are always the same, which is when someone has a negative experience with your brand and you turn it around, they statistically will be more loyal, spend more money and refer more people to you over their lifetime because they've seen that when things go south, you're there alongside them 
to make it better. And for the most part, people don't expect perfection. Obviously, if you're listening to this and you're a financial advisor, the stakes are high because people are trusting you with their financial futures. However, most people aren't expecting you to be a mind reader. Like they're not expecting you to be able to say like, what's the market going to do in 20 years? Some people are, but the majority of people who are rational are expecting you to do your best and to work hard for them. And when something goes South, they want you to jump in and fix it. So when you do that, when you can demonstrate that service recovery, oftentimes you come out on the other side of the relationship even better than when you went in. And again, in the book, I talk about sort of the five steps of an apology and how the service recovery paradox kind of plays out when you've got multiple people in your team involved. But I would say that the headline takeaway is to know that that negative feedback can be a huge opportunity for you, not just as it relates to that individual customer, but then also, of course, to read view the processes that you have so that you're making changes that can impact other customers as well on their journeys. Yeah, great points. Maybe you could share, is there a memorable success story or example that you have from your time in this field where harnessing fandom has made a significant impact on a brand or a business as a result of leveraging that? Yeah, there are so many examples of brands that have rallied grassroots supports from their fans to really change the trajectory of their of their entire business. And sometimes that's on a small scale and sometimes that's on a global scale. One brand that I talk a lot about that I personally have been a super fan of is Chewy. So Chewy.com is an online pet food retailer. They've been around for 12 years. They're doing billions of dollars a year in sales. And they've grown that business in what was a very commoditized category, right? Pet food, pet products, medicine, supplies, and they have managed to turn customers into very loyal Chewy super fans by leaning into personalization and leaning into the customer experience. So making sure that every experience is a remarkable one, whether you're calling in to talk to someone on the phone or whether you're just interacting via email. They do a lot of surprise and delight. They do a lot of sending cards in the mail, sending treats and toys in the mail. I've gotten hand-painted portraits of my dogs from Chewy. So they've found a way to show that in addition to fast free delivery, in addition to the convenience of having people available for you to talk to 24-7 when you have a question about your pet, they also will allow their employees, who they call Tutopians, to lean into their own personalities, to use their own strengths and superpowers to deepen that relationship. And because of that, there are millions and millions of Chewy customers, including me, who feel like there's nowhere else they would want to go for their pet's products because they already are working with the company that cares the most. So even though you could argue that things like pet food and toys and treats, medicine are very much commodity right? products, yeah. they have become a category of one because why would you want to get your pet's products anywhere else if you could get them from the company that cares the most about you and your pet? Yeah. And when you're telling that story, it sounds to me like that personalization factor is so key and vital to that relationship. We just did that for a family we serve. We were on a regular phone call with them. They mentioned that they were going to be away for two weeks, asked them obviously where they were going. They were going on a uh, little travel uh, in Spain and Portugal. So immediately we hung up the phone from that call. I had a member of my team go on Amazon. We bought a book about traveling to Spain and Portugal, had it sent to the office 
hand inscribed it, wishing them safe travels, having a great time and shipped it off to them. And hopefully it'll be helpful on their travels over that two week period. But I'm imagining it's stuff like that that really adds to that personalization factor. Absolutely. That impact that you create by showing that you care the most. You were listening and then you took an action. And people assume that the way they see you do anything is the way you do everything. So when you do something like that, what you're really showing is an attention to detail that they then assume carries into everything else that you're doing, including, very importantly, managing their portfolio. Right. So I got to ask you this because my boys would not let me off the podcast without asking you this because we are big fans of Shark Tank. How was it being in the tank? (laughs) It was such a fun experience. So I was on Shark Tank. I filmed, gosh, it's been forever ago. It was at the end of 2014 and the episode aired in 2015. But what was really fun was I didn't like apply to be on Shark Tank. I just got a call one day from a casting producer who had read a story about my business in Forbes and said, hey, you should come on the show. And I thought that sounds like a lot of fun. And so I went on the show. I would say spoiler alert, but it's been a bunch of years. I mean, if you want to watch the episode, you can. It was season six. It's available on Hulu and Apple and everything else. I think I caught it on CNBC a few nights ago. Within the last couple of weeks, I saw the episode pop up. It re-airs all the time, which is so funny. It's actually like a really great reminder of when you put something out in the world, customers will find it like forever. And when they do, it's still new to them. So I have people every single time it re-airs on CNBC, there's between like five and 8,000 people that end up on my website for the first time. And to them, it's like new, even though they want to see an update, they want to know what's going on. It's new to them. So I thought it was so much fun being in the tank. It was a little weird at first because I was such a fan of the show, like being on the set. Cause you don't like when you walk through those doors, that's when you're going onto that set for the first time. You're right. not like hanging out with the sharks before you film. So it was a little bit weird. It was like, my brain was like, wait, what is this? Like, I felt like I was inside the TV for like a split second. It was a really, really weird experience, but it was a great time. I loved being on the show. We were offered deals from four of the sharks. I won't spoil it, but we did do a deal on the show. We ended up then not doing the deal in real life because once we got into some of that due diligence phase, it just didn't make sense. Right. It was very expensive. My understanding is that happens quite <laughs> often. expensive capital to take, but yeah, it was a really fun experience. Yeah. My understanding is there are many times where you see the deal on TV and it ends up not getting consummated at the end because of the details or something changes or some factor breaks it up at the last minute. My other understanding is that, like you said, you recorded 2014, aired in 2015. Sometimes you don't have the deal consummated for several years after your episode airs because they have so many things going on and so much due diligence that needs to be done too. Exactly. And you can't like bail on your deal before the episode airs or then they'll pull it. The production company like won't air it because obviously it's a huge exposure thing. And some people want to like just get the PR without doing the deal. So as everybody listening who is in the financial services industry knows that due diligence can be a lot. Yeah, agreed. Well, listen, who knows? 
I'm a big fan of the show. I'm a super fan of the show. I really enjoy it. I look forward to maybe seeing you on there again one day with a different business. You never know, right? Who knows? That would be a lot of fun. I would love to go back on the show. So, Brittany, we end each of our shows asking all of our guests the same question. This is the Midland Money Mindset, and we're all about joy. So what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? This morning, I read storybooks, Dr. Seuss books to my kids before I dropped them off at their respective ones at zoo camp today and the other ones at daycare. But we had a nice little fun Dr. Seuss huddle. And I think every working parent understands the struggle of feeling like you're pulled in two opposite directions all the time. But for me, it's always great when I can have that special time and like connect with them and then get everything that I need to get done that day before I go pick them up from class. Sounds amazing to me. And all I could say to you is enjoy every minute of it. My boys are 17 and 20 now, and it goes by like that. And we've tried to enjoy every minute along the way. And now we're at a point where my boys hang out together and they go out of town together without us. So (laughs) that also brings us joy, though, that they actually enjoy hanging out with each other. So that's awesome. Well, that feels like a million years from now. It's funny when people say it goes by fast. I'm always like, really? Because I feel like today was the longest day of my life. Like we're still in, in, you have a three-year-old and it's like, oh man. But thank you. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Yeah, exponentially faster than you'll ever imagine. But so it's been great having you on. Great takeaways for our listeners. And I'm sure they have a lot to dive into. And if they want to learn more about you and what you're up to, we'll have all your information in the show notes. But what's the easiest and the best place for them to do that? They can find me at BrittanyHodak.com. Amazing. Nice and easy. So check out BrittanyHodak.com. See if she could help you and your company, business, entrepreneurial venture, also create super fandom because it is important. You got a lot of competition out there. So thank you so much for joining us today, Brittany, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Larry. It was great to be here and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day as well. I want to thank Brittany Hodak for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Brittany has had an amazing career that continues to get better as time goes on. She understands the value the impact, and more importantly, the way that superfans can be created by a company or brand. Superfans for our businesses is what we all strive for, and Brittany has helped companies of all sizes integrate this into their culture. There is no better way to build or scale a company than using this concept. Brittany Hodak and all she is up to can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. 
No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.